Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, last week we started a new sermon series called Better Relationships. And in this series, we're not just talking about romantic relationships. We're talking about things that I believe will impact all of our relationships. How many of you want better relationships? Can I see your hands this morning? So do I. Like my hand is up right there with you. I want better relationships. I want a better relationship with God and I want a better relationship with others in my life. And I believe that this series is going to help us with that. The quality of our life is directly related to the quality of our relationships. The quality of our life is directly related to the quality of our relationships. The most important relationship that each of us should have is a relationship with God. And our priority in life is, in, is, is to see that relationship thrive and flourish. If this relationship is right, then it'll drastically improve our relationships with others doesn't mean that all of our relationships with others will go easy if we have a relationship with Jesus. But if we're drawing close to him, it should impact how we, were, how we relate to others. And our relationship with him should lead us to exhibit these attributes that we find in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. Right? If our relationship is strong with God, it should lead us then to have love and joy and peace Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And if, if those are attributes of our lives, then it should only help the relationships that we're involved in. If we're proficient, if our knowledge combines with the practice to reach expert level in these areas because of our relationship with God, it should drastically improve our other relationships, this idea is so important to us that it's part of the mission of our church. We exist to inspire and equip people to give their whole lives to God. Right? This is the starting point. This is the starting point of our relationship with Jesus when we surrender our lives to him, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we're saved. We shift from being children of wrath to becoming children of God. Paul writes it this way with some incredibly rich words in Romans chapter 8, verse number 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there today. Romans chapter 8, verse number 12. It's also going to appear on the screen. Here's what he writes. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. God, we ask that over the next few moments that you would pierce our hearts with your word. 
that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Lord, I pray that as we look at principles from your word today, that it would help us to have a better relationship with you and a better relationship with others. In Jesus' name, amen. As children of God, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The relationship with God begins with what Christ did for us. He made the first move. The way that we enter into a relationship with him is to accept that move and confess him as our Lord and Savior. And as a church, we desire to help people take that step. In fact, in almost every single Sunday morning service, at the end of our services, we give an opportunity for people to follow Jesus. In fact, if you've come in here today and you don't have a relationship with him, at the end of this service, we've been praying that today would be the day that you would become a follower of him. And so we look at the mission statement as a a church. We exist to inspire and equip people to give their whole lives to God, to grow in their relationship with him and others, and go tell the world the good news. What we see in this series is really a focus on those first two elements, to give our whole lives to God and grow in our relationship with him and others. Our words are powerful. They help us build relationships or destroy relationships. How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you have seen how a relationship has been built up because of affirming words that have been spoken? Would you raise your hands? How many of you have, you can put them down, how many of you have seen relationships absolutely destroyed by words that have been spoken? Can you lift up your hands? Our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. And one thing that impacts relationships more than anything is our words. Words create worlds or destroy worlds. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know how powerful that words are. There are some of you in this room today that somebody influential in your life spoke a negative word over you when you were a child and your entire life you've been trying to prove them wrong and for some at the expense of those who love you today the most. Yet when a positive word is spoken over us, it impacts us also. Some of you may have noticed that I have had a beard for a longer season than I have in my entire life. I will tell you it's not because of any of the words that you have spoken. Outside of God, the closest relationship that I have on the planet is with my wife. And I went away for a week, and I didn't shave, and when I came home, my wife said, wow. You know, that was the first time that she didn't say, I know you're going to shave that off. Right? Instead, she said, wow. Mm. I like that beard. She said, look at all that gray. Mmm. I said, baby, I didn't know you had a thing for old men, but I'll keep it. I will keep it. Her words have power. How many know what I'm talking about? Our words have the power to build or to tear down. Spoken words have power, and equally unspoken words have power. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, obviously, when we speak destructive words over people, it's obvious why that would destroy relationships. But in the same way, when we withhold praise and encouragement, it's equally destructive to relationships. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 36 and 37, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus tells us that we're going to be held accountable for every word that we've spoken. He also says in the same chapter, in verse number 34, that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If our heart is filled with the Spirit, if our heart is filled with the things of God, then out of our mouth are going to come things of love and joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our words will reflect that. What we speak in relationships with others will reflect the Spirit of God living and active in our lives. In this series, we're looking at three words that can drastically influence our relationships. And the three words that we're looking at are please, sorry, and thanks. Please, sorry, and thanks. Last week, we talked about the magic word, please. And I hope that this week, after listening to last week's message, that there have been some of you who have employed and implemented that word more. As you've gotten ready to ask your husband to do something, or your wife to do something, or your kids, it has been accompanied with this magic word of please. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to please go online. See what I did there? Go online to crosspointwaverly.com or watch on Facebook or YouTube or take a listen on Spotify. Nothing opens doors like please. Nothing mends fences like sorry and nothing builds bridges like thanks. If you want to go deeper on these three words, I would encourage you to read the book by Mark Batterson entitled this, Please, Sorry, Thanks, where some of the thoughts this morning are coming from. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most difficult words on the planet for some of you to say. And the word that I'm talking about today is sorry. Would you say that with me today? Just say sorry. See, it's so hard that I only heard about five of you say it. Like, that's how hard it is. Y'all, this is church. You know, it's a safe place to say sorry. Let's one more time loudly say sorry. Sorry. Hey, that was much better. And you know what a great practice is? Why don't you just look at the person on your left or your right now, right now and just say sorry. Sorry. Mm, some of y'all needed to do that. Some of y'all just experienced freedom in church service this morning because you just said sorry to the person who needed to hear it the most. It wasn't that hard. Every human relationship has the propensity to thrive and also has the propensity to break down. And the reason why every human relationship has the propensity to break down is because we're human. We have good days. We have bad days. We're imperfect. Nothing has the power to mend fences or to restore relationships like a genuine, heartfelt apology. The quality of our relationships is directly impacted by our ability to say, I'm sorry, and to receive the words, I'm sorry. Mark Batterson wrote in his book, he says, before we go any further on this topic of, of forgiveness, he says, let me specify what forgiveness is not. It's not excusing bad behavior. It's not justifying injustice. It's not even pardoning what someone did. He said, that's beyond our pay grade. Only God can do that. He writes, forgiveness is not turning a blind eye or subjecting yourself to someone else's sin. 
you find yourself in an abusive or dangerous situation, you owe it to yourself and to God to get out of it. If someone commits a crime, they can experience God's grace, but that doesn't mean they won't live with the consequences of their actions. He writes, forgiveness cancels the debt of sin, not the consequences. Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in it, he shared about one of the trips that he had made in a subway in New York City. And he said, we were all on the subway. Everyone was minding their own business when all of a sudden a dad and two of his rambunctious children stepped onto the subway. These kids were yelling and screaming at each other and throwing things at each other. And some of you are like, I can relate. That would totally be my kid in the subway. Stephen Covey said that after exercising as much patience as he could turn, as he could, he turned to the father and he said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. Suddenly checked back in, the father becomes aware of the situation and he responds and he says, you're right, I guess I should do something about it. The dad said, we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago, and I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. In that moment, Covey's irritation dissipated, and it was replaced with empathy. He said, a paradigm shifted, and suddenly I saw things differently, and because I saw differently, I thought differently, I felt differently, I behaved differently, my irritation vanished, and my heart was filled with this man's pain. Everything changed in an instant. Every time we say, I'm sorry, it begins with empathy. It's a heart that beats for the things that break the heart of God. Mark Batterson shared in in his book titled, Please Sorry Thanks, he said, I have a friend who recently hosted two high-ranking government officials from opposing parties. He said the high-ranking officials spent seven hours sharing their life stories with each other. Seven hours, not just seven minutes, of two high-ranking officials who are from opposing parties. He says, just because you don't see eye to eye on every issue doesn't mean you can't relate heart to heart. He said, of course, you have to take the time to listen to another story and ask good questions. And most of us are far too busy to do that. So we end up fighting rather than forgiving, canceling rather than caring, judging rather than empathizing. We give up on people too easily. Jesus knew and expressed how important it is for us to be able to say the words, I'm sorry, and to receive the words, I'm sorry, and to offer forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus uses this example. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says, look, if you have offended your brother, leave your offering, go to your brother and apologize and then come offer your offering. So let me try to put this command in context. The altar was in the temple, which was in Jerusalem. And Jesus is sharing this command from the Sermon on the Mount, which he shared on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
And this time, there were no cell phones where someone could just pick up the phone and say, hey, Jacob, I'm really sorry that I did that. And the pastor just preached this message about how since I offended you, I need to ask you for your forgiveness before I give my gift. Will you forgive me? Yes, cool. You're the best son-in-law ever. I love you. That's great. And then you move along and you offer your gift. There were no cell phones available. There was no text message. Instead, the distance from where they were at to the temple was 72 miles away. It would take someone 24 hours walking back to go apologize to someone and then come and offer their gift. And here's the point. There's nothing convenient about offering a sincere apology or genuinely extending forgiveness, but it's worth the trip. It's worth the trip. Look, I'm aware that there are some people who are never going to apologize. Like, it's just not in them. They're never going to say the words, I'm sorry. There's too much pride in their hearts or self-assurance that they're always right and never wrong, and so they're never going to say, I'm sorry. And I just want to say to you this morning in the room, like if that describes you, can I encourage you to repent? Can I encourage you to repent? Because I'm telling you, if you can't say the words, I'm sorry, it is negatively impacting all of your relationships. I'll be the first to tell you that I'm imperfect. I say the wrong things at times. I do the wrong things at times. And I like to say that the best apology is the apology that doesn't have to be given because you didn't say something stupid or do something stupid in the first place. But since I'm human, I miss the mark. And again, I'm not perfect, but the older that I get, the more that I'm trying to become quicker at apologizing. I love my wife. There's no but that follows that. It's just, I love my wife, full stop. I love my wife. But marriage has a way of dismantling selfishness. And if marriage doesn't quite do the trick, then God blesses us with children. And here's a fun fact. Diaper spelled backwards is repaid. And when you have kids and you walk through different seasons of life, how many know it makes you appreciate your parents all the more? Now, uh, when I was growing up, my dad liked to comment frequently about how smart that I was. And in that sentence, he would talk about how smart I was while also talking about an animal. And before you get upset with my dad, I deserved it every time that I was called that. But I grew up in such a legalistic church that I thought that if Jesus came back before my dad could repent for calling me that, that he would burn in hell for eternity. I would grieve so much and it would hurt my feelings and I've not grown out of the smartness, right? But now when someone calls me that, I just embrace it and I'm not offended by it. My understanding of God's grace has expanded. And one reason is because God's blessed me also with very smart children. (laughs) And while I have never told them to their face (laughs) out loud how smart they are and used an animal in the same sentence, I will tell you that I have thought it countless times. 
the more we've experienced in life, the more we appreciate our parents. Back to my wife, she doesn't let me get away with anything. Fake apologies do nothing for her. Non-specific apologies do nothing for her. Poorly worded apologies like, I'm sorry your feelings got hurt, do nothing for her. She can sniff out an insincere apology from a continent away. Like, it's just not flying. If, if I'm trying with a half-hearted apology to my wife, reconciliation is not happening in that moment. And as a result, I have two options. Number one, if I want to have a better relationship with my wife, then number one, I need to quit saying stupid stuff and doing stupid stuff. Right To do that stuff less. Secondly, since I'm human and I'm going to mess up, then the next option really is this, to become more proficient in saying I'm sorry. To become more proficient in saying I'm sorry in order to have the best possible relationship. And I believe this honestly can extend to all of our relationships, and it's so hard to say it for some people. Some people are never going to apologize, or if they do, it's not going to be in a way that means anything to you. And I think about the story of Paul and Barnabas. They were fellow ministers in the New Testament, and they have such a sharp disagreement about this guy named Mark. Barnabas thinks that Mark should be able to go on the missionary journey with them and continue. And Paul has something against Mark, and he says, Mark's not coming. And so Paul breaks off with Silas and they go on a journey and Barnabas and Mark go on a journey and we don't see anywhere in the New Testament where there's this hallmark apology from Paul and Barnabas and Mark. What we do see is in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse number 11 where Paul writes and invites Mark to come to him because he's useful to Paul in ministry. Paul invites Mark to come to him because he's useful to Paul in ministry. I'm just telling you that if Paul wrote that letter to my wife, Erica, she would write back and say, is this your way of apologizing to me? The quality of our relationships will be determined by our ability to say and to receive the words, I'm sorry. Few things take more courage than saying, I'm sorry. Sorry is a we word. It mends broken fences. It builds bridges across relational divides and it levels the playing field. But sorry has to be specific and it has to be sincere. One place where we can practice specific and sincere apologies is with God. While we can pray a prayer like, God, forgive me of all of my sins and everything that I've done wrong, and God can forgive us of that and hear that, it's a half-hearted apology. But when we invite the Holy Spirit to peer into the deepest recesses of our hearts, to search our hearts and show us our ways and reveal the sin that's in our life, when we confess those sins to God on an individual basis and he forgives us, it's powerful. And maybe by doing this, you'll actually get to the root issue rather than confessing the same symptom over and over again. The writer of Lamentations says that God's mercies are new every morning. And the Hebrew word for new is hadas. And it doesn't just mean uh, new as in again and again. It means new as in different. It means never experienced before. Today's mercy is different from yesterday's mercy. 
Like snowflakes, God's mercy never crystallizes the same way twice, and every act of mercy is unique. Mark Batterson shared this powerful illustration in his book. He says, imagine an old European city with narrow cobbled streets and storefronts as old as the city itself. One of those weathered storefronts has a sign hanging over the door that reads, The Mercy Shop. There's no cash register because mercy is free. When you ask for mercy, the owner of the shop takes your measurements, then disappears to the back and comes back and he says, good news, he's got your size. Mercy is never out of stock and it's never out of style. As you walk out the door, the owner of the mercy shop smiles and says, thanks for coming. And with a wink, he says, see you tomorrow. Mercy is tailored to your sin and your circumstances. It fits like a glove, but you have to be willing to share your measurements with the tailor. Grace is also a custom fit, but it's distinct from mercy. Mercy's not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Here's another important distinction. We confess our sin to God for forgiveness, but we confess our sin to others for healing. In the Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, we see the same story recorded by each of these authors, and each of them have different details that they add to the story. But it's the story of when Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas led soldiers to Jesus' location for him to be arrested. When that moment happens, Peter pulls a sword out of its sheath and he chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Needless to say, Peter's in big trouble for that. Back then and even today, you can't just pull out a sword and chop off somebody's ear. The the worst case scenario for Peter is that he would get charged with attempted murder. The best case scenario would be that Peter would be charged with assault and battery with a deadly weapon. But either way, he would probably end up on the cross next to Jesus. The story doesn't end with just Peter chopping off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Instead, Jesus did something, something supernatural and miraculous. He reached down into the dirt and he picked up the ear of the servant of the high priest and he put it back on. And it was good as new. There's something bigger that happened. Dick Foth says it this way, Jesus destroys the evidence against us. Imagine if the servant of the high priest would have tried to file a suit against Peter. And he takes the stand and says, Peter, cut off my ear. And the judge invites him to approach the bench and show him. So he approaches the judge and he shows him the right ear. He shows him the left ear. And the judge says, I I don't see anything wrong. The case is dismissed because there's no evidence. This isn't just a story of Peter and the servant of the high priest. It's a story of you and me. Jesus went to the cross to destroy the evidence against us. And all we have to do is start with these words. God, I'm sorry. God. I'm sorry. The Bible tells us that when we confess our sins to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us, that he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west. 
telling you, if we could grow proficient in these words, I'm sorry, it will impact our relationship in a good way with our Heavenly Father. And I'm telling you that out of the overflow of that, it will impact our relationships with others. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've never asked him to be the Lord of your life. And you say, today, I wanna become a follower of him. I want my sins forgiven. I want a fresh start with him. I wanna move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. You say, today, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to slip up your hands all across this room. You say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Hands are already going up. When I count to three, lift them up all across this room. One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. One, two, three, four, five, six. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There were at least six hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raised your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand today and you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask that you would do a couple of things. One is that you would look to the person on your left or right and let them know of the decision that you've made today. Secondly, in just a moment, the prayer team is going to make their way to both sides of the stage. We leave time at the end of each of our services for people to receive prayer. If you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat in, in just a moment and come forward for prayer. But if you raise your hand and you prayed that prayer, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat. Let them know of the decision that you've made today and let them pray a prayer of blessing over you as you embark on this journey that God wants to take you on. So I'm gonna pray over us this morning. Worship team's gonna lead us in another song. The prayer team will be up here and I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward for prayer. God, we thank you so much for your love for us and for your word, for the principles that we see in it. God, we see how you value relationships. Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to grow in the area of, of this word of saying, I'm sorry. Lord, that we would use that language with you and that we would use it with others. Lord, I pray that even in this room today, 
Lord, if we've offended a brother or a sister, that before we would even walk out the doors today, that we would walk up to them and we would use these words, that it would be heartfelt and sincere and specific. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a healing and a restoring work. Lord, I pray for husbands who need to apologize to their wives and for wives who need to apologize to their husbands, for moms who need to apologize to their kids or their kids apologize to their moms or to their dads. Lord, I pray that today, that this wouldn't just be a message that we hear that goes in one ear and goes out the other, but Lord, would you help us to live it out? Not to wait for another moment or another day or another week or another year, but today would be the day that we would put these words into practice and that we would apologize and that you would do a healing and restoring work. God, give people courage today to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.